Thank you for joining us for the Midweek Bible Study with Dr. David Wilson. Now let's join Dr. Wilson for a more in-depth study of the Word of God. Your day is coming. You ever had anybody tell you that? You just wait. Your day's coming. That's what this is about right here. You think, well, I'm being mistreated. Your day's coming. I got amused at a lady who said that she took her three-year-old, it was a birthday, and it was, they were opening gifts, her three-year-old daughter, her grandmother, gave her a water pistol. And he opened that water pistol and he squealed with delight and he headed for the nearest sink. Mom wasn't very pleased and she turned to her mom, his grandmother, and said, I'm surprised at you. Don't you remember how we used to drive you crazy with water guns? And she just smiled and said, I remember well. Your day's coming. Another young man had just had his 16th birthday, got his driver's license, and he slid behind the wheel, and he asked his dad to come along for a ride. So dad said, I'd love to, and instead of sitting in the shotgun seat or in the front seat, he climbed in right behind his dad, right behind his son in the back seat. And his son beamed proudly and said, Pop, I bet you're back there to get a change of scenery after all those months of sitting in the front passenger seat teaching me how to drive. He said, nope, not at all. I want to sit back here and kick the back of the seat like while you drive, just like you've done for me for 16 years. <laughs> this passage is a tremendous encouragement to anybody who's going through a difficult time. Look at verse three and following. I want to remind you, 2 Thessalonians wasn't, it wasn't too long after 1 Thessalonians was written, actually, but it is written to a group of people who are going through some intense persecution and difficult times and being mistreated. And Paul's encouraging them, and look what he says in verse 3, we're bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is plain evidence or manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints, to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. It brings encouragement to those who are going through suffering and the Christians in Thessalonica were going through persecution and Paul is basically saying, remain unshakable, stay in there, your day's coming. I want you to notice several things. First of all, the righteousness of God's judgment. He establishes that. He said, we worship a righteous 
judge. He is righteous. He's holy. He's perfect. It's a plain indication, he says, of God's righteous judgment so that you are considered worthy of the kingdom. You know, we have a lot of judges in this country that aren't righteous. We have a lot of judges that make big mistakes, but you can count on God. He is a righteous judge. Paul said in Romans 2, 16, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. All through the scriptures, he is portrayed as a righteous judge. And having established them, that he, he proceeds to tell them what God is doing in and through them. He said, because of that, God is even using these difficult times to help you stay in there and help mature you. You know that you do more growing through the difficult times than you do when everything's going great. In fact, he says it's a plain indication in verse uh, three, uh, excuse me, verse five, manifest is the word plain. On the surface, it may have appeared that the Thessalonians weren't being taken care of and that God was not a righteous judge, that he's overlooking what's going on to them and he's blessing all these other people who are persecuting them. But if you remember, Jesus even told his disciples, he said, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they're gonna persecute you. And then he also said in Philippians 1.27 that we're to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear what you're standing firm in one spirit. For it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. There's going to come a time, if you follow Jesus, you're gonna suffer a little bit. It's gonna be difficult. You may be overlooked for a promotion. You may actually be ridiculed. You may be persecuted. And you may be suffering now, but your day's coming. Two things. He said, first of all, he's going to give all the believers rest. Look at verse 7. And to give you who are troubled rest with us. We don't know exactly how they were suffering, but you can look at the history books. Some of them had probably been arrested, some of them had been beaten, some of them had been thrown into jail or had heavy fines levied against them. Some of them had had their houses taken. In all likelihood, they were undergoing the same trials that Christians around the world are going through that right now that live in countries that are not friendly to Christianity. The apostles, endurance, he says, you're gonna face pressure. It's evidence that God is at work. And he goes on to point out, if you suffer for Christ's sake, it's proof that the Lord thinks you're worthy of the kingdom. Not that you're trying to earn your way to heaven, but he says you're one of his children. It reveals that you're worthy, that you're one of God's children, that you're standing in the faith, that you're living for him. And you go through some difficult times simply because you're a believer. It's proof. And the fact that they could stand under that pressure was proof that they had a power to do it. Because most people, when things get going tough, they leave. They're done. Paul said, but you have the Holy Spirit living in you and he's making you stay in there. He's given you the power to hang in there. And the word rest also means relief. It's, in, it's interesting. You know what that word in the Greek is? Anison. 
Now, it's not spelled the same way. It's, it's spelled A-N-E-S-I-N, but what do you do when you have a headache? Take an anison. You remember those commercials? How do you spell relief? R-O-L-A-I-D-S. For those of you who can't spell, it spells Rolades. <laughs> but Paul is saying, how do you spell relief? J-E-S-U-S. Jesus. When Jesus comes, there's going to be relief. That's why when, one of these days when the Lord returns, it's going to be so good because we're going to get relief. We're going to get Anison. There's three kinds of people here tonight. Those who are in trouble, going through some difficulties. Those who are just getting out of trouble. And those who are about to get into trouble. And what I mean by that is you're, you're about to go through a hard time and maybe you don't even know it, but it's going to happen eventually. Sometime there's going to be a time to test your faith. The word Paul uses for relief meant to be released from tension. It's the same word used when a warrior placed an arrow on the bowstring and when he drew it back until it was tight and when he released it, it released the tension off the string. He said, you're living a life right now of persecution and difficulty and suffering and one of these days you're going to get relief from the tension when the Lord returns. Amen. Amen. Now in our crazy world, too many people are wound up tight as a bowstring, but Jesus even now can give you some relief. You keep your focus on him. Our hope is not in sociology. Our hope is not in politics. There's no relief there. Our, our hope is in Jesus Christ. And that's why he said, you come unto me who are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. You know, it's amazing. A lot of people think they're not going to get any rest until they die. But God can give you rest now. By the way, for those of you who have everything, there's a new coffin you can buy. A company in Sweden is offering a high-tech coffin that plays music for the dead. Seriously, I'm not making this up. You can't make this stuff up. You can pick your playlist before you die. Coffin has a high-fidelity speaker to serenade you in death. The, the headstone has a screen that allows your friends and family to come by and play a different playlist for you. <laughs> the music's designed for the deceased to have a more restful and relaxing experience in the grave. And if you're interested, it's only $30,000. And I love the name of it. Catacombo Coffin. <laughs> Maybe that's what you need for rest. But the good news is you can rest in peace without a catacombo coffin. Jesus can give you peace right now. In fact, he said, you know, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And the crazier the world gets, and the more you start reading social media, and you start listening to the news, and you get all wound up, you just have to remember that God's still on the throne, that Jesus still saves, and he's coming back, and he can take you through whatever it is. The world doesn't think that there's peace coming. In fact, the world says, you need to grab everything you can right now. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But 
Thessalonians were in judgment and trial right now, and Paul is saying, you just hang in there. Your day's coming. It's going to get better. Now, it's good rest for the believers, but now in verse 6, it says there's going to be retribution for those who don't know God. He's going to afflict the ones who afflict them. Now, when they say, well, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like a loving God. After all, now today, we focus on God's love and God's mercy, and I, I believe that. But I want to tell you something. There's a holiness of God and a just side of God that people need to know about, too. Because God's not taking sin any more lightly than he ever has. I'm not sure that came out right. He's not looking at it lightly. He's always hated sin. And one part of God's character will not bypass another one. For instance, the scripture says God cannot lie in Titus 1-2. Why? Because it's contrary to his will. God's not going to let sin slip by because it's contrary to his holiness. And what I'm trying to say is that all these people that think, well, God is all love and everybody's going to heaven and you ain't got to worry about what you do. I'm not trying to make it sound bad, but one of these days, there's going to be retribution for people who have not accepted Christ. For those of us who've given our lives to Christ and followed him in faith and know that he died for our sins, God's has already put our retribution on Jesus and died for us. We're not going to face the wrath of God, but some people are going to face the wrath of God. And it's based on his righteousness and holiness, not his anger. God's not going to bring retribution because of his anger. It's because of his holiness. We're the ones that get retribution or revenge because of anger. I, I... I don't know if it's true or not, but one day a young man was looking through the classifieds in search of a used car, and he came across an ad that said, brand new Jaguar, $50. Well, he thought it was a typo, but he called the number anyway, and he assured, the lady said, no, it's $50. Still couldn't believe it. He went over there to look at it. To his amazement, he found the automobile to be in superb condition. He asked the woman, why are you selling a $150,000 car for $50? And she said, a year ago, my husband began to go through a midlife crisis. That's when he bought this car. About a month ago, he ran off with his 23-year-old secretary. A week ago, he called, said he was running short of cash. He asked me to sell his Jag and send him the money. That's exactly what I'm going to do. <laughs> now, that's the kind of retribution we would do. But God's righteousness, you know, the wrath of God, and we say wrath, you know, it sounds angry, but because of God's righteousness and God's holiness, sin's going to be dealt with. And all of these people that you think around the world are getting by with everything, sin's going to be dealt with. Now, in verse 7, you see the revelation of Christ's judgment. Look, verse 7, the second part, it said, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, the word revealed means unveiling. It's going to be the climax of a whole series of events which the scripture calls the presence or the unveiling of Jesus. Now, we already know Christ, Christ is going to appear in person. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, the Lord 
Um, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who are asleep. And then, and then he goes on to say, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout of, of the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. We call that, we call that, I call that the rapture. The snatching away, because it means the, the snatching away. Jesus comes suddenly, like a thief in the night. He removes the believers from the world, and next will come a time of tribulation. But here, it says in verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God. That's going to happen at the end of the tribulation when the Lord comes, and everybody sees him then. When he comes and takes the believers, the whole world's not going to see him then. We call that the rapture, but the actual second coming, you find all kinds of references about that. For example, Jesus himself said that in Matthew chapter 24. He said, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Revelation 1-7, behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, everyone who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. He's coming in person. He's also going to come in power. He says, with, with great power. Back in the 1980s, there's some of us who still remember the 80s. And the Tonight Show had Johnny Carson. Billy Graham was on one night with Johnny Carson. And Johnny Carson said, you know, Billy, I bet if Jesus ever came back to earth, I bet we'd do him in again. And I don't think he was prepared for what Billy Graham said, but Billy Graham said in the Bible, Jesus predicted that he would return to the earth again, but the first time he came in love, the next time he'll come in power, and no one will do him in. <laughs> the third thing I want you to see is the, is the rightness of Christ's judgment in verse 8 taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. He puts it very plainly. He's going to inflict judgment on those who do not know God or obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So notice two things, two classes here. There's vengeance on those who rejected Christ. You ever had anybody ask you, well, what about those people who've never heard? What happens to those who never hear the gospel? Well, the answer is they're going to face the judgment of God. 
It's one of the reasons we send missionaries. But, but it also says in Scripture, in Romans 1.19, it says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. If a person knows and knows there's a God and he seeks it, God's going to reveal himself to them, I promise you. If they're seeking God, God's going to reveal himself to them. The second category, though, is those, those who've heard the gospel but have rejected it. And there are millions of people like that. They've heard the gospel, but they're not going to surrender their lives to the Lord. They haven't done that. What happens to them? Verse 9 says they'll be punished with everlasting destruction. From the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. One of the saddest verses in the Bible. A lot of people say, well, there is no hell. You'll just be annihilated. You'll just cease to exist. You know what? No one's going to cease to exist. Isn't that amazing? Once you have life in the womb, you never cease to exist. You're either going to exist in heaven, you're going to exist in hell. It it says it here. Some folks like like to make jokes about hell. You know who spoke about hell more than anybody else in the New Testament? Jesus. In fact, he spoke about hell more than he did heaven. A lot of friends say, a lot of people say, well, I'm going to go to hell because that's where all my friends are going to be. But folks, did you know that you're not going to see anybody in hell? You're not going to see anybody in hell because it's blackness of darkness and you're separated and lonely and empty. C.S. Lewis put it this way, in hell everybody will be an infinite distance from everybody else. Jude describes those in hell as wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. What do you have to do to go to hell? Nothing. You're already on the road. The wages of sin is death. For all of sin comes short of the glory of God. So what do you think God's doing? He's trying to rescue people from going there. He's not sending anybody there. Our sin is sending us there. He puts everything in the way. He puts the Bible. He puts praying people. He puts the church. He he puts the gospel, all of it in the way, and people are walking all around it, rejecting it on the road. So if you've not accepted Christ, your day's coming. I don't mean that ugly. But let's end on a positive note. You see the victory for those who've received Christ. Look at verse 10. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints, to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony to you is believed, is Paul's simple way of expounding on the little word, all who have believed. What Paul means is that God is going to rescue us He's not going to glorify us because we lived a good life. 
He's not going to glorify us because we gave money or we're good looking. If we went on looks, all of us would be in trouble. (laughs) Scripture never puts it on that basis. He said, we're going to be glorified because we have believed. Believed in Jesus Christ. There's two kinds of belief. It's head knowledge. If I took you out to the airport, I pointed at an airplane, I said, you believe that airplane will fly? Most everyone would say yes. Head knowledge. But when you believe here, you say, well, let's, let's go get on that airplane and fly. Now, it needs to be with somebody who knows how to fly it. That would not be me. <laughs> I ask boys and girls when they come to see me occasionally. I'm getting too old for them to come see me now. But I'm trying to talk to him about knowing Jesus and what believe means. And I said, how did you get over here? Well, my mom brought me. I said, did it even occur to you that she might not know how to drive? And they look at me and smile, no. I said, did it even occur to you that that car might not make it over here? And that she might know the, not know the way how to get over here? You didn't think about it, did you? You just got in the car. You risked your life. You put your life in your mom's hands. That's the kind of belief you follow Jesus. I believe Jesus is the only way, and he's not the way I'm not going. So, folks, every one of us have a day that's coming. You already have an appointment. Hebrews 9.27 said it's appointed unto man wants to die. You already have an appointment. You just don't know when it is. But I want your day to be the day when you meet Jesus, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Don't let your day be the one that you're going to face the judgment of God. And the only thing that can keep you from facing the judgment of God is Jesus Christ. And your faith and trust in him. He is the God man, the one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. Thank you, folks, for being here tonight. Thank you for your faith. Thank you for your your willingness to step out and say, God, we see that your hand in things, and we're gonna step out. Now I'm gonna ask you to pray about what you can do to help us get there. I'm gonna be part of it. I wouldn't miss it. I know God's in it. I wouldn't miss it. I thank you for the way that you've given to this building, this building. Did you realize this Sunday? This Sunday, four years ago, is our first Sunday morning in this building. Now, this one happens to be Easter. And would you believe that we started out at $7.7 million and now it's down to under $4.5 million? We're just coming right along with that. So God is blessing that too. It's because of you. I get to be part of that too. I'm going to be part of this. Who knows? We might start making pizzas. (laughs) Please don't repeat that. I can can see now the rumors. The church bought a pizza place. It's going to be a school. It's going to be a school. And it's going to educate folks like Chris Rankin right there. And Brex, I'm so thankful. Thank you all for being here. Let me close in prayer.
And by the way, get one of these prayer bracelets. And if you didn't get one of these, these stat sheets, please take that and look at that. It's incredible what God's done. Lord, it is so, it's such a joy to be part of a church family that loves you and loves each other and will step out on faith. Lord, we've, we, we know that you're in this and thank you for the opportunity. Now we pray that you'll give us the $860,000 we need next. And we know that's a drop in a bucket for you. I pray that you'll lay on our hearts what we can give to that building because it will be an investment in your kingdom and in the lives of young people even long after us. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for Southcrest. Thank you for Southcrest Christian School. Thank you for your word and how it encourages us. And sometimes we wonder if, if the day's ever going to come. Thank you for reminding us that our day's coming when we'll see you face to face. I pray for the, the Fanning family, Norris's service tomorrow. And the visitation this evening at Sanders Funeral Home, I pray it'll be a time to comfort them. Thank you for your love for us, and thank you again for all those that went through so much work to make this happen. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to watch more live streams or additional Bible studies, please go to southcrestlive.tv. We hope to see you again next week.